campus again. Um, then also, men will have prayer Saturday morning, 6 o'clock here. Um, also, we have new charts for 2024 for reading the Bible all the way through in a year. It breaks it down day by day. If you read every day within a year, you will have read the entire Bible through. I think it's a great practice. And uh, I was telling Brother Gabe and Sister Sandra before service um, that this is my favorite way of doing it when we break it down, part New Testament, part Old Testament uh, each day. So you get a little bit of Old Testament, New Testament each day. And it's something how you begin to see things that relate between the Old Testament and the New Testament when that starts happening. So if you'd like one of those, um, please only take one if you're going to use it. But use it. I'd like everybody to take there on the uh, bookshelf counter back there. We have some. We also have some for children, um, and the children ones don't go all the way through the Bible. You know, depending on where children's reading level may be yet, but it lets them be in the Word every day, and so they can with you. It's a great way as a family to say, "Hey, let's sit down together." And maybe some children aren't reading yet, but parents, you want to read to your children every day. I'd encourage it. Take the children's and just read through that daily. Let that be your daily reading to your children if they're not reading it. But if your child's able to read, I think it's a great way to encourage them to take the children's one and read that. Now, if they're teenagers and stuff, they ought to be taking the adult one and reading. That's just my thoughts. Um, but anyway... But it's a great, so they're there. And then they're also, they're out there in Spanish as well. If somebody needs one in Spanish, or, so please get those. I appreciate uh, the work that Brother Gabriel and Sister Sandra are doing, continuing to communicate out week by week. They're going off this chart. It's just a way for us to remind us together. And then the periodic comments, what the scripture says, what's discovered in scripture. They are encouraging to me. I don't get to read them all every day because I can't keep up sometimes. Some days, I know you may not believe this, but some days I get like 300 messages. And so I don't always keep up, but I do go back and read them all, and they're encouraging to me, and I'm so thankful. Uh, beautiful to be in the Word of God. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God? It's, it's precious to us. What a gift. I'm so thankful for it. So uh, remember that. Amen? Um, I have asked if... Brother Nate Hartley would take a little bit of time this evening and share what the Holy Ghost has put on his heart. And so he's going to come now, and he's going to do that. And uh, I may follow him. We'll see. If he goes an hour and a half, I probably won't. But uh, I'm not saying that to rush him either. You understand? Um, I'm... I'm starting to get a little bit of a complex about feeling rushed during church. I'm just going to tell you. Um, and so I'm, I, told, I told my wife and I think maybe some of my kids, I said, I'm going to try to stop apologizing. Um, I, I've just decided if you need to leave, you can leave. Um, I, I do try to be respectful. I think you know that and cognizant of your time and your schedule. But you got to know, you might want to sit for just a second, Brother Nate. Um, you have to know, I just got to give you a little context. Um, I, I grew up 
where we would have revivals. And so we would have church twice on Sunday. And then we would have service Monday through Friday night, every night of the week when we'd have a revival. And then Saturday would be the day off. And usually that was the day spent going and getting other people to come because you had a revival going on. And then we do two services again on Sunday and then Monday through. And sometimes those would go for three or four weeks. I remember sometimes we'd plan a two-week revival and then the pastor would say, I feel like we need to extend this. And we're like, uh-oh, here we And you just did it. And uh, service usually started at 7 or 7.30 and we were fortunate if we got out by 10.30. I have no regrets about that. And... Um, now, I grew up hearing from my mom, my grandmother and grandfather, my aunts and uncles on my mom's side that they would have revivals and they would usually not leave till midnight because they would pray and the power of God would come and they would and they'd get up the next day and go to school and go to work. And I'm not bracing you for a midnight service or anything like that. But I'm going to tell you. Sometimes, sometimes we hinder the flow of God because of our connection to our watch. Sometimes. Okay. And so, Brother Nate, would you come? Appreciate My notes were written in such a way to get us to midnight, but <laughs> I guess maybe I'll cut some stuff out. It's, uh, it's an honor, very humbling to be with you all tonight. Um, <clears throat> you know, we got here a little over a year ago, and uh, the two main characteristics I felt the whole time were that this place is filled with people that really have the love of God and the what I call the spirit of meekness or humility. You can feel the love when you're here, genuine love, and um, and people are just so real and humble and meek. And uh, I knew early on that I had a lot to learn from all of you. Um, and so I'm thankful to be with you all tonight and uh, for this opportunity. I, we've heard quite a bit about unity. And obviously, the Word of God states how important unity is. Um, there's many, many verses about unity um, you know, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. And um, the New Testament talks about all of us coming into the unity of the faith. And obviously, it's a very vital thing that we as a body are unified. But I was thinking some time ago, I had many years ago memorized a verse and it had kind of gone away. And then it came back when we were talking about unity and it's a different kind of unity, and um, it's a unity within our own selves. If we uh, go to Psalms 86, verse 11, 
I think two nights ago I was sleeping and I woke up, I think at around three in the morning, and I don't know if it was God or just my nerves, but I was tossing and turning and thinking about tonight a little bit, and, uh, but this verse came back to me, and so I felt like I had a little bit of direction. But Psalms 86, 11, the King James says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. In the NIV, I think this is how I memorized it years ago. It says it this way. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart to, that I may fear your name. And then New Living says it. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. So if we look at these three different translations, saying basically the same thing in a different way, but to fear his name, our hearts have to be united first. Unite my heart in order to fear your name. But to... But for my heart to be united, I've got to walk in truth. And to walk in truth, somebody's got to teach me the way. Obviously, the man of God, but also, as we've talked about so much recently, the Word of God is our pre premier uh, teacher. So we learn from the Word of God. We walk in the truth. Our hearts are united within our, ourselves, and then we fear his name. Recently, I, I think I was just reading the proverb of the day, and I came across this verse in Proverbs 8, uh, verse 13. And, um, and then I looked up the other day, I, uh, I looked up the fear of the Lord is. And that statement, I think, was in scripture nine times the fear of the lord is and we're familiar with many of them the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge the fear of the lord is a fountain of life but this is the only one i could find that the fear of the lord is to something it's it's connected with an action it, it gives us something to manifest the fear of the lord and so I feel like this is a great definition, if you want one, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I, the fear of the Lord has been kind of abstract. I know it's reverence. I know it's honor. But what, what does that really look like? So the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward or perverse mouth do I hate. And so, hating evil, I think we really have to have an intolerance for that which displeases him. And pride and arrogancy, well, all of these things, things that we all have to fight and grapple with and cast down, and, but... If I'm going to fear the Lord, it's going to manifest. Just like, just like love, I can say I love somebody, but if it doesn't manifest somehow, 
my wife, it's gifts. That's her love language. So I got plenty of time till Christmas, so don't worry. Um, but it's, it manifests somehow, and the fear of the Lord manifests. We hate these things, and we try to, to shun these things and repent of these things. Um, but it's all part of our hearts being united. Obviously, unity of heart is the opposite of a divided heart. I don't want one foot in the church and one foot in the world. I don't want one foot having victory one day and then falling on my face, though the word says the righteous man falls seven times. But you know what I mean. I don't want to be pulled back and forth. And our human nature, that, that does happen, but I don't, we need to, we have to have our minds made up of some things. We have to, we ha I want to be all in. And I know you do too. In James chapter 4, it talks a little bit more about this, verses 1 through 8. I know that's a lot of verses, so I'll read kind of quick. Verse 1 says, From whence comes wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts, your desires. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy, for the Holy Ghost within us envies our time, envies our hearts, our minds. It wants more of us, but he gives more grace. Thank God for that. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there it is again, double-minded, division, lack of unity within me. My mind is, is split. In the New Living, it says, that just that last verse, verse 8, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's convicting. <laughs> your loyalty is divided between God and the world. In the Greek, double-minded literally means two-spirited, which, of course, we all have our human spirit, but then the Holy Ghost, when we receive the Holy Ghost... We, we really have to, like Joshua said, we have to choose you this day who we're going to serve. I'm either going to serve my, my own humanity, my own nature, or I'm going to find an altar and let that part of me die. Maybe multiple times a day. depends on the day. But sometimes you got to keep going back 
Um, got to go to the car on your lunch break or whatever and, and uh, take care of some stuff. But two-spirited, vacillating in opinion or purpose, you're going back and forth. You're divided in interest, namely between God and the world. Obviously, we all have either jobs or we have children at home or whatever the case may be, school. We have stuff. We have responsibilities. And I don't think, you know, obviously none of us are supposed to, like Bishop Schoonover mentioned Sunday, we have this idea of a man of God, you know, sitting in their office studying for 12 hours and doing nothing but giving Bible studies and, and praying. And, um, but I think really the ultimate for each of us is that we, rather than doing that, God is with us and we're aware of God, whatever we're doing, wherever we're at. Where, whatever, you, whatever job you do, wherever you go, in your home, that our minds are, are focused on him, that we can have fellowship with him, that we're aware of his presence and hearing his voice at any given moment. I don't want to, I don't want to be cognizant of him and be sensitive to him when I'm here with you all, but be totally my mind somewhere else on Monday. I want to be consistent. But it's a daily, it's a daily choice, a daily thing. James, again James, but this time chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. James had a lot to say about this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I think I can attest to that. I think I've been double-minded at times, and it seems like you can't get a grasp on anything. It seems like you don't know which way is up. You can't get an answer for anything. If you're, if you're double-minded, it truly does lend to instability in everything, in every area. Wavering there means to be at variance with oneself, to hesitate, to doubt. So I know this is talking in context, talking about asking for wisdom, but I think the principle asking for anything. When we pray, we should pray in faith. We should pray without hesitation or doubt. Not so much focused on the outcome. The outcome is in his hands. I can't do anything anyway to produce healing or, or whatever the case may be, but I know that he can, and I should pray with that kind of faith and boldness. Philippians 3, verse 18. <clears throat> it says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, 
and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The belly there, many times that it's, it's translated stomach or uh, even womb, but figuratively, it's the innermost part of a man, the soul and the heart, as the seed of thought and feeling and choice. I don't want my God to be my own thoughts or feelings or impulses. I heard a, a pastor once say, which dog are you feeding? It kind of goes back to the two-spirited thing. We all have two natures if we have the Holy Ghost within us. We can either give nutrition to the spirit man through prayer and the word, fasting, fellowship, etc., or we can give nutrition and make our natural man big and robust. Um, you know, if you've got two big pit bulls and they're the same size and same temperament and you put food down there, there's probably going to be a fight. But if you, not, I wouldn't do this, but if you starved one, <laughs> if you withheld food from one, eventually that bigger one, he's not going to have much of a problem. We have to, each of us, have to seek God and seek wisdom to find ways to let the spirit man grow and become strong and dominant in our lives. If we look at, I have a lot of scriptures. I've never been accused of being long-winded, but maybe tonight. <laughs> the night is still young. Um, Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. There's so much scripture about this, I, I can't, even, um, can't even get to most of it. But <clears throat> For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The lie of the adversary is that we will lose too much if we give all to him that there's too much to lose, that there's, what about, what if, you know, what if it doesn't pan out this way, or am I ever going to be able to have the life I envisioned, or, um, you know, it's, it can be different for everybody, but the enemy wants to tell us how much we can lose if we give all to him, but the scripture is clear that our carnal minds eventually leads to death, but spiritual, a spiritual mind is both life and peace. Life and peace. And so, 1 Corinthians 10, we don't have to go there, I just 
I didn't write it down, but it talks about all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but all things are not edifying. So expedient meaning profitable, edifying meaning to build me up. It's not all just about sin. It's what, and I've been convicted of this lately, there's only so much time in a day. And Brother Garcia and I, uh, in the last week we were talking about, it seems like time is just going by faster and faster, and you just can't get a handle on it. And before you know it, it's, it's the weekend again, and um, it's church time again, and it's Christmas again, and you can't, you can't keep up with everything. And um, it's going by so fast. All of a sudden, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and this is crazy. I can't handle this. Um, but there's only so much time, and God provides us rest. God provides us enjoyment in a variety of ways. But I don't want to spend too much time doing things that are neither profitable or edifying. And it's, it's challenging. It's hard because, you know, you get home from work and maybe the kids go to bed and you just want to veg out. You want to relax. And, and God provides rest. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing a lot of that stuff. And I'm not here to talk about all the stuff that we, that we do that we fill our time with, but I want to focus more on what, what is going to build my spirit man up, what is going to actually be profitable for me as, as a child of God, as a husband, as a father, the things that really matter. I don't want to waste time. I'm tired of wasting time. So what, what's competing with him, I think, is a question. What in my life is competing with the things of God? What, is, what have I put as a higher priority than him? I, like I said, I, I, I pray in the morning and read the word, and I try to. I try to be consistent, but... What am I giving myself to, you know, at the end of the day? I want to be consistent. I want to read this book. It's called The Supreme Need of the Hour by Andrew D. Urshan. Other than the Bible, it's been the most impactful book that I've ever read. The first printing was in 1923. But I came across this. And it says, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. And he asks the question, why? Because God is not in all his thoughts. Psalms 10.4. And then he comments, mind you, God is in some of his thoughts. He thinks of God once in a while, but not always. That is when he gets in trouble. When fear encompasses him, then he begins to think of God. Otherwise, he thinks of what to eat, what to put on, where to go, how to make an easy living, and how to become some great fellow. And that's, that's the temptation that we can 
be content and maybe complacent with, well, I'm, I'm doing what I'm asked to do, or I'm coming to church faithfully, or I'm, I'm trying to be a good person, and I'm. But God wants more of me, and God wants more of you. Actually, God wants all of me, and God wants all of you. And I, I want to reciprocate that. And if, if I'm feeding too much of the wrong part of me, then I'm not going to have an appetite for him. I've got, to, I've got to seek him with my whole heart. The scripture says, it promises that we will find him if we seek him with our whole heart. And so I just encourage, maybe this was all just for me or, or one or two, but I encourage us to realize that God has so much more for each of us. God wants, he's, he's, he's standing there waiting for more of me and more of you. And he wants to reveal more of himself to me and you. And I pray that, especially in this year ahead, that God would enable us by his great grace to, to fix our eyes on him, because he really is the author and finisher of our faith. And, um, okay, last, last verse. I'll do one more for you. Matthew chapter 6. I can't pass this one up. It's so Matthew six twenty two. <clears throat> says the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is in thee be darkness. How great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So there it is again, division, two masters, a lack of unity within a man. And it's interesting that it talks about a single eye, which in the Greek means sound or whole. But the opposite of that is it says your eye is evil. I don't want to be looking. I don't want to have double vision in these end times. I don't want to have blurry vision in these end times. I want my eye to be whole and sound, fixed on him. I don't want to have one eye. I don't want to be cross-eyed. <laughs> I don't want to have one eye on the world and one eye on God. I want to have both eyes clearly on him with no nothing in the way, nothing obstructing my vision. And it's a daily, it's a daily walk but he gives us the grace to choose this day who we will serve.
And so I encourage you tomorrow morning, choose, choose him. He will give you life and peace. He, he is that, it was spoken about recently, that living water that never runs dry. I heard a man of God say once, he asked God, how can people nowadays with all this stuff everywhere that wasn't there back in the day, the billboards and the ads and the junk, how can a young person make it? And God responded to him and said, the same flow that worked for you will work for them. But we have to get into that flow, the flow of his spirit. And so I just pray that, why don't we pray right now? Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would help us have a united heart to fear your name, an undivided heart, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that our eye would be set on you, that our minds would be set on you. God, we bring every thought into captivity and cast down every imagination that rises against the knowledge of God. Jesus, we submit our minds and our will and our emotions to you. We receive, Lord God, your love. God, you love us and you want more of us. Lord, you love us and you have more for us. You're not here to condemn us. You're here to show us your love, Lord God. Lead us and guide us by your spirit. Order our steps in your word and let not any iniquity have dominion over us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I praise you, God. Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And what a challenging word, the word of the Lord. Amen. The word of the Lord. I'm enjoying this teaching from different ones. I don't know about you. I trust you are. The Lord is ministering to us, talking to us, speaking to us. I think it would be great uh, Hartley, if you would, if possible, it looked like those notes were probably printed, not written. Is that a fair statement? So you can't read your own writing like me. Uh, it would be great if it's possible maybe to, you can cut out your notes if you like, but the scriptures, I would love us to be able to circulate those scriptures. It would be great for us to revisit those scriptures that we've heard tonight and maybe some that you skipped over and didn't get to. If you wouldn't mind, we'll get those out. What do you... You know, it's very challenging to have unity of the body if we don't have unity of heart individually. And we need both. Amen? And uh, I, there's a witness of the Holy Ghost here tonight in a clear way. I appreciate Brother Hartley's sensitivity to the Lord to bring the Word of God in nervousness at times. But, and... Aren't you thankful for that? Let's thank the Lord again for his word, that he would love us such to speak to us through a vessel. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We do not just gloss over it. I don't 
I do not want it to just go into the ear and the intellect and then back out and on to the next thing, but let it be written upon my heart. Let me meditate upon these things. Let me consider them, O Lord, in the days ahead. Let me make appropriate steps in agreement with your word so that I'm not simply a hearer, but a doer of the word of God. In the name of Jesus, by your grace functioning and operating in us, with us, and through us, Lord, we pray. In your name, this precious word. In your name, this precious word. In your name, this precious word. I want to briefly share with you a few things the Lord started talking to me about this morning. And I, I am... I really don't try to make things fit when a couple of us share some stuff. But I'm marked by how God is dealing with us. As we saw last week on Thursday, and I, I'm just I don't do this too often, but I'm going to read it to you the way I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart when I was praying, and He began dealing with me. The body of Christ is made up of many members. We know this. Each part valuable to the whole. all agree with that so if you're a part you're valuable to the whole the adversary wants you to question your value so that you never realize your value to the whole if he can keep you and I questioning our individual value then we'll never see our value to the whole so we have to know God has valued us and the reason he valued us is because he loves us but he also values us in his body. That's why it pleased him to place us within his body. All right? Each member has function in the body. Believe that? If you're a member of the body of Christ, you have function in the body. Now, we understand the body of Christ. We understand the things that are not seen by the things that are seen. Is there any part of your body that doesn't have a function? I, I wonder what tonsils do sometimes because I know they take those things out. But they do something in there. And so wisdom teeth are there until you get enough wisdom you don't need them anymore, I guess. Right? But every part of your body has a function. Whether you understand it or not, it has a function. And so it is in the body of Christ. Every part has a function in the body. Our function is only fully realized. You want to realize your function? Because I'm just going to read. Our function, by the, again, this isn't coming from a book. This is the way it came to me today in prayer this morning. Our function is only fully realized and operational when properly aligned with the head and thereby with the other members of the body. Okay? Each member is valuable. Each member has a function. 
but our function is only fully realized. So if you find yourself going, I just don't know what my role is in the body. I just don't know what my role is in the body. I just don't know what my function is in the body. Or I don't feel like I'm doing anything. You need and I need to go back and look first and foremost at our alignment with the head of the body. Does that make sense? You know, you get out of alignment with your head, some parts of your body just don't function. Okay, I'm feeling that way the older I get. My brain thinks I can do certain things on the basketball court, but my body doesn't do it. I don't know if I'm disconnected from the you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that Christ is the head of the church. And so if I am in his body, but I feel like, okay, I'm not fulfilling function, I'm not operating, I need to first look at my alignment with the head. This goes back to some of these very things that Brother Hartley was talking to us about. Do I have a divided spirit? Is my heart not united in relationship to the head? You understand, if I have a divided spirit like he was talking about, I'm probably not in alignment with the head. And that will cause me to question function in the body. And it will also not allow me to fully be operational if I realize I have function, but I'll not be fully operational in that function because I have a divided spirit. Does that make sense? All right. So I know I've said it twice, but I want to read it again and go to the next point. Our function is only fully realized. I don't want it to be realized. I want it to be fully realized. Our function is only fully realized and operational when it's properly aligned with the head and thereby the other members of the body. My hand works not just because it's aligned with the head, but because it's also aligned with the wrist and the elbow and the shoulder and the right. It based on alignment with the whole body. Okay, we understand that. Next point. The function of each part, we're the parts. The function of each part is never, everybody say never. I know that's a strong word. The function of each part is never solely independent. Never. Tell me something that you do in the natural with your human body that only one single part of your body does and no other part is involved. Anything. I'll wait. I, you're thinking. I want you to think. That's good. Think anything that your body does, any one part, only one part, any one part of your body that fulfills a function without any dependence on any other part of your body. They're interdependent, aren't they? Every part of your design, the way he made you, your skin is dependent on blood. And, and I, I know what happens. I, I went through this process a little bit when the Lord was talking to me. I started thinking, well, well, no, that's dependent on these cells. No, that's dependent on blood flow. No, that's dependent on brain pattern. No, that's dependent. There is no part of your body that functions solely independently. 
every part of your human body is dependent on another part. We understand the things that are not seen by the things that are seen. The function of each part of the body is never solely independent, ever. If you or I as a member of the body become independent, I'm telling you, you're no longer in a part of the living body. You may still have life, but not long. That's why the adversary wants you to, to pull you aside and be independent. Because you'll live for a minute, but you won't live long. Cut a chicken's head off, it still flops around for a while. There's a little life left in there for a minute. Okay? There's not a one. And here's the deception. Well, you know, me and God, that's enough. Not according to the word. Not according to the word. We need one another. We need each part of the body. And so, these things are important. So, super fast recap. We're made up of many members as a body. Each part is valuable to the whole. Every part has function. Our function is fully realized and operational when we're in alignment with the head and thereby in alignment with the other parts of the body. Okay? And the function is never solely independent. Your function in the body. Your calling in the body, your ministry in the body, my calling, my ministry in the body is dependent on you. And vice versa. And just as sure as every part of my body isn't the same, it's why we don't compare ourselves amongst ourselves. We seek to find and operate in our function and place in the body. Okay? Now watch. While we are interdependent in the body, as individual members of the whole, we each have personal responsibility. Okay? First, we have personal responsibility above all in relationship to the head. Yes? Before anything else, I have a personal responsibility in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, I don't get to go, well, I have the first, therefore the second doesn't matter. Secondly, I and you have personal responsibility in relationship to the other parts of the body. Cain tried to deny it. Am I my brother's keeper? He was trying to deny personal responsibility to another part. You start entertaining that attitude, you're entertaining the spirit of Cain. And the Lord told Cain, if you do well, then well. But if not, sin lieth at the door. And when you and I start entertaining the idea, I only have responsibility to God. I don't have responsibility to any other part of the body. I'm sin's lying at the door. So we have personal responsibility in relationship to it, and I have personal responsibility in relationship to you. I pray because I have a personal relationship with the head. 
But I also pray because I have a personal relationship with you. And you may not know it, but many of you, well, you know it. Most of you know it. You're trusting that I pray. Is that a fair statement? You trusting that I pray? <laughs> okay. You better be trusting that somebody holding this microphone is praying. Okay? Or if you're receiving counsel from a brother or sister, you better trust they're praying. All right? So you're trusting my personal responsibility to him, but you're also putting trust in this personal relationship that I have with the head. Does that make sense? Okay. So do you get to put more responsibility on me than you put on yourself? As part of the body. Well, yeah, but hold on a minute. If we're a part of the body, we all have function and role, and we should be operating, and we don't operate independently or solely without the other part, who has the most responsibility in the body? We have shared responsibility based on our function and our role. Amen. I don't get to say, well, it's not fair. The foot's carrying all the weight around here. That's their function. They're designed accordingly. But you know what? The foot is dependent upon the ear. How? Because my equilibrium comes from my inner ear. Yeah, I didn't think I knew. You nurses are impressed, aren't you? So I was paying attention in biology. I got to be careful when I talk about the body around. We got so many nurses in the room. My feet, while they support the weight, the fact that I am not toppling over is dependent on the inner ear that gives me equilibrium. Yes? And so I can't expect the inner ear to carry weight. And this is what we do in our humanity. We go, well, but I'm doing so much. And there it seems like, but it, but no. Function, role, place in the body, supporting one another, independent, right? Not independent. But it's why we don't compare. Callings are different. Ministries are different. Placement is different. But we are dependent, interdependent one upon the other. I can't fulfill my function without you. And vice versa. Okay? So, I'm going to give you some scriptures. We'll get to the home stretch here. Philippians 2 and 12. I'm talking now about personal responsibility. Because while we're a part of the body and we depend on the body and we are interdependent, we have personal responsibility. Personally responsible to the Lord, but also to one another. My personal relationship with God is for me and for you. I pray because of my relationship with you. I study the word for me, and I study it because of my relationship to you. Okay, I need you to see these things in your own life. In my own, we've got to see this. What I do, I do for my relationship with him, but I also do it because I feel a responsibility to my brother and sister, the other parts of the body. It's never just about me. Got to be careful about that. And I do it for my responsibility to the world. Okay. Now, Philippians 2 and 12 says, 
Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, man, that's quite a compliment, isn't it, from Paul to the church at Philippi. You have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. He said, not even just when I was there, but when I wasn't there. In my absence, you went above it. You made sure even when I wasn't there. Then he makes a statement. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What? Personal responsibility. Amen? Luke 18 and 1, Jesus said, he told a parable on this wise. He said, men ought always to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 says, pray without ceasing. So Jesus said, men ought always to pray. Paul told the church, you should pray without ceasing. So who has the personal responsibility to that? Who? Each part of the body. While we depend on one another and we are interdependent, we don't. When we understand our responsibility to the Lord and to one another, we don't shirk our personal responsibility because we understand it affects more than just me. If my wife doesn't pray, it affects me. Well, she's not praying, so I'm not going to pray. No, 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 no. I still have, I still have personal responsibility. But if she doesn't fulfill her personal responsibility, it affects her and me. And if I don't fulfill my personal responsibility, it affects her and me. And if you don't fulfill your personal responsibility to prayer, it affects you and me. Is this making sense? So we have personal responsibility to the head and to the body. And if we want to function and be operational where he's placed us in the body, we have to take personal responsibility for where the word of God instructs us. Amen? Otherwise, we will just be a church attender who says, I enjoy what I feel, I enjoy what I experience, but I have no responsibility to the body. I simply receive from the body. I don't give to it. Spiritually. Matthew 6, and 6 says, when you pray, go into your closet. And then he said, the Father sees in secret, and he rewards it openly. Who's praying in secret? Who is? You are. I am. That closet is a place of personal prayer, personal responsibility. He rewards it openly. How does he reward it openly? Does he shine a bright light on you and say, look at what you did or what I did in our closet of prayer? Not necessarily. Sometimes rewarding openly means he does something in the body because you prayed in a closet. I'll never forget when we first moved to Arkansas um, in 2005, so 18 years ago, a little over 18 years ago, seven, 2007, 2005 when we first came here. 2007, 16 years ago. Uh, we got there on a Saturday. I didn't know why we were there. I didn't know what we were going to do, and I didn't know where we were going to go to church. We didn't know where we were going to live. Sort of like where we are right now. We don't know where we're going to live. But, I mean, we know we got temporary place, but anyway, I, sorry, I digress. Um, 
we, we were there. And so I thought, we'll just go to this church in the morning. I didn't know what time it started. So I called at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Thought, I'll get a voicemail and see what it says. I called the church at 6 a.m. I got a voicemail. And I'm like, great, now I know what time it starts. I hung up. About two minutes later, three minutes later, I get a call back. It was the pastor of that church. He said, hey, I just missed your call. We talked for a minute. And he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, um, you know, my wife and I came down. I was, you know, I don't, oh, you got a job? No, no, no. I, oh, you're visiting? Uh, no, we're, well, what? Well, God told me to come. And he said, really? <laughs> Not like in a negative way. I just like, I'm like, I'm sure, you know, I don't know him. He don't know me. We'd met once in passing for a minute. He's probably thinking, okay, really? And he said, so what were you doing up? I'm like, oh, you know, I worked with the church. I was trying to be coy, not, not in a negative way. I just didn't want to go down the road. He said, oh, what'd you do at the church? Oh, you know, whatever needed to be done. You know how that goes. I, I was trying to be careful. I, didn't, I wasn't trying to present anything. Matter of fact, I was trying to lay low. I wasn't sure what I was doing there. I wasn't trying to give anybody any answers about why I was there. He said, oh, like what kind of stuff? I'm like, this guy won't stop. And I can't remember how he asked me, but finally I said, look, I was pastor in the church. Oh, I'm like, look, just so you know, everything was good. I didn't want to leave. The church was growing. God was blessing. I was having the time of my life, and God messed up my plans when he told me to come here. I really don't want to be here. <laughs> I told it. That, 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 oh, wow, so you're a preacher. I'm, something like that. We went to lunch after Sunday morning service. He says, I want you to preach tonight. I'm like, what? No. I'm still trying to. No, really, really. I'm like, man, really, that's not why I came. I just, and he pressed and he pressed. I said, I'll pray. We'll see. Fast forward, long story short. I go that afternoon to the house that's not ours where we're staying with people, and I, I shut myself in a little bitty room. It was my aunt's sewing slash junk room. It's about the size of the baptistry space right there. And I spent that whole afternoon praying, and I'm getting nothing. I'm getting no direction in prayer. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm emptying myself out. I'm going to the Lord. Ah, nothing dead in there. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Right, right. I'm just like, ah. I'm getting frustrated, but I'm praying. I'm praying. This goes on until it's time to go to church. I, I got nothing. We get there that night. We're worshiping the Spirit of the Lord during the song service. He invites me. I go up and stand with him on the platform. Now, I'm, I'm feeling pressure. This, there's about 400 people there, 300 people there. Somewhere in those, that range, three to 400 people that night. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling pressure, and I got nothing. And so I'm like, okay, well, we'll just see, Lord. I'm not going to wing it. So this will get interesting if he says, now it's you, and I go up there, and I got nothing. Well, at least he won't ask me again. I'm waiting. They start singing. They start worshiping the Lord together in song. See, you guys think you're nervous, those of you that spoke last couple of weeks. I was just like, oh, whatever, here we are, I'm here, you know. And uh, we're worshiping the Lord together in song. And somebody came down to the altar during the song and worship service. And I thought, that's beautiful. You know, they lifted their hands. And somebody went down and started praying with them. And he turns, and somebody else did. And I thought, well, that's cool. People are responding. People are praying with them. I didn't know they had sort of a, a thing they did. And their thing was like during worship, if somebody needed prayer, they just came to the front. I didn't know that. This is the only second time I've ever been there. And I didn't get all the lowdown on what their little patterns were. And so the pastor turns to me where I'm standing with him on the platform. We're worshiping. He turns to me and he says, hey, 
just take your liberty and pray with people. <laughs> and I'm thinking, really? You don't know me. <laughs> and so I literally, Brother Reuben, I looked at him and I said, are you sure? God is my witness. Because I was starting to feel some things in the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't direction in the Word. I was, there was a person three rows back just on the edge. The Holy Ghost had my attention and I was zeroed in right there. And I was, it was everything I could do. I'm just, I'm wanting to go right there. And he turned to me and he said that. And I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, really. Now, remember, I didn't know what he was probably saying was as people come to the front, because this is our pattern during worship, go pray with him. I didn't know that. I just know he said, take your liberty and pray with people. And so when he turned me loose, I was submitted to the authority. I'm talking about when you pray in secret, your responsibility to the Lord and to the body. When I was praying that afternoon in that little sewing room, I wasn't going, God, help me so I don't look bad. I was praying because I had, I had been asked to do so, and I said I'd wait on the Lord, and I'm feeling a responsibility now to 350-whatever people, the body. I don't want to just grab a good message. God forbid. What does God want to say to the people gathered there that night? And so he says, take your liberty. I go down. Walk down from the platform. It's like four stairs down. People are worshiping. There's three or four people up in the altar now. I just go right past them. He probably thought at that point, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know. I never asked him what he thought. I go back to that third row. I go to the lady that was sitting right there. She was all by herself. Pretty sure she was a visitor for different reasons and various things. But And uh, I just simply said, uh, ma'am, she said yes, and she, she was dressed like super, super nice, looked very affluent. Um, I, there were different reasons I knew she was probably a visitor, um, but she was clearly by herself. And so I said, ma'am, she said yes. I said, would you mind if I pray with you? And she said, no, I, I think that would be fine. I said, are you sure? Yes. Okay. I said, do you mind if I lay my like, hand on your head and pray for you? And she thought, that would be fine. She was very formal. Not, not like awkward or standoffish, just very formal. That was sort of indicating to me, yeah, she's not usually here. I said, okay. I'm, I laid my hand on her head just began to pray with her. I said, would you just talk to the Lord? She did. I don't know her name to this day. I never got her name. In minutes, God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She was speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave her the utterance. I was like, I, it, I shouldn't say it caught me by surprise. I, I, I didn't know what I was praying for. I was just responding to the Lord. And so, now watch. I just began to go to the next person. The Holy Ghost illuminated to me across. It was like a fan-shaped room that had like four sections, I think. I just started walking around and going. I don't know that I ever went up to the altar. I, I blew up the whole. He'll probably never give me liberty again. But this went on for 45 minutes. And the Lord started working. People realized people started coming to the altar, kept coming to the altar. I, I don't know how many people God filled with the Holy Ghost in that short time. 
And after 45 minutes, we went back up. It sort of settled down. They're still worshiping. I'm back on the platform in my proper place beside the pastor waiting and thinking, man, I still got nothing. And he turns to me and he says, do you mind if we take a rain check on tonight? I think God has had his way here. And I'm like, don't mind at all. I think he has to because I got nothing. This is inner voice, right? That pastor went to the pulpit, and he made this statement. I'll never forget it. It marked my spirit as long as I live. This is exactly what he said. He said, I don't know who prayed this afternoon, but God has clearly visited us here tonight. Now, you understand, I'm not taking credit for something. Please don't misunderstand me. God did the work. But when he said those words, the Lord spoke to me. And this is what the Lord said. If you'll pray in a closet without need for a pulpit, this is what I'll do. You pray in secret, he rewards openly. But it's not always you he rewards. You get the reward of seeing him work. That's a reward. It's for the body. It's for the body. It's for the body. I got to hurry. I didn't plan on that story, and that took a while. I apologize. I don't apologize, but you understand. Hurrying on, just a couple more. So prayer is a personal responsibility. I can't. I can pray for you, but I can't pray for you. You have to pray. Don't call me and ask me to pray for you if you're not praying. Or at least think long and hard before you call me and ask me to pray for you if you're not praying. Second um, Corinthians 9 and 7, Paul said, uh, Let each one, as he purposes in his own heart, so give, for God loves a cheerful giver. So giving is a personal responsibility. I give personally because of the instruction of Scripture. As I purpose in my heart, that's individual. A purpose in our now the scripture gives us instruction and direction that we obey and we follow that but your involvement is a personal responsibility I can't do it for you and it affects the whole it's interesting that's also in Matthew 6 did you know that we talk about pray in your closet and he'll reward openly but we miss the verses that come before that in Matthew 6 3 and 4 he said, when you do your alms, do your alms in secret. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. And what's done in secret, God will reward openly. Amen? Personal responsibility. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 says that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Who's supposed to study? Who? Oh, no, the, the preacher's supposed to study. That way he can teach me. I, I have a personal responsibility to the head, and I have a personal responsibility to you. Brother Hartley tonight shared the scripture. He had a personal responsibility to study, but his personal responsibility was magnified by his responsibility to you. Is this making sense? We can't dismiss personal responsibility. And sometimes that's why we don't grow in God is because we seek to receive from the benefit of the body and the blessing of the Lord, but we don't fulfill personal responsibility. That's what it is to be a disciple. Psalm 119 said, Thy word have I hid in 
Whose heart? Who hit it there? I did. Personal responsibility. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Personal responsibility. Leviticus 19 and 2. The Lord spoke through Moses and said, Be ye holy as I am holy. And we, we see that, of course, it's more often quoted from 1 Peter. Maybe we should read that. 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Watch. This is personal responsibility. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Next verse. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. That's the lust of the world, Brother Hartley was talking about. In your ignorance, verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. That's lifestyle. That word conversation is lifestyle. As sure as he's holy, you and I are called to be holy in all manner of our lifestyle. That's personal responsibility. There's a reason why. Can I hold this for a second? There's a reason why I don't go around and say, hey, could I look at your iPad and your phone and see whether you're looking at holy things and being holy with your device or not? There is, there's a reason I'm not the, the preacher police. Because you have personal responsibility. What's on your phone, what you listen to, what you look at, what you watch, you have personal responsibility first to the head and secondly to the body. And he said, be holy as I'm holy. To grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and to grow as a body of believers in unity and function and operation, we cannot shirk personal responsibility. Amen? And if you're old enough to understand what I'm saying, you're old enough to accept responsibility. Teenagers all said amen. Brother Lewis, you're not a teenager. Stand with me, please. Second Corinthians 6 and 17. Second Corinthians 6 and 17. Paul said to the church, Wherefore, come out from among them. Who's them? The world. The world's way of living. He's not saying isolate yourself, go into a communal Go to a convent. Go to where monks go. I don't know what those places are called. I drew a blank. And isolate yourself completely. That's not what he means. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Okay? We're not shaped by the world. We should be shaped by the word of God. Be not conformed or shaped by this world, but be transformed, changed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. 
It's the word of God in Romans 12. So Paul said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Whose responsibility is that? Whose? Individual personal responsibility. Now, I know there are some, and everybody has different ways, and this is not a criticism. Please don't misunderstand me. Sometimes it could be a criticism, but this is not. Because the body is made up of so many parts, the Lord knew we needed each other. Do you believe that? And so God, in his sense of humor and in his great grace, felt like you all needed me. And so that very fact means that he has a sense of humor, that he thought you needed me. And that I would be the one that somehow in his infinite grace and power he could use as an under-shepherd to him in working with you in your life. And he's like, I'll put these people together. That blows my mind to this day. It's an unbelievable thing. And some people are like super thick-headed and hard-headed, and the only way they receive stuff is if you pound them in the head with it and you come hard and fast and straight, and you just got to drill them, and they need just to survive and make it. They need rules on every hand. And so God gives them a shepherd that way. That's not how he made me. It's not how he made me. And through the years, I've had people, why don't you tell people they can do this or that and not do this or that? And it would, because you have personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. I don't come visit your home. Not that I've visited tons of your homes. Some of your homes I've visited. Some of you just haven't invited me yet. That's not a request for an invitation. <laughs> but if I do, I don't look around and go, hmm, I wonder. Hmm, I wonder, how, wonder, if they, wonder what they're, what's in their home. I wonder if it. And why? Because that's not my responsibility. That's your personal responsibility. Is it holy? As he's holy. Is this making sense tonight? And when each of us accepts God-ordained personal responsibility, it benefits all of us. All of us. Do you believe that? How many of you received ministry last Thursday when Sister Riojas talked to us? I did. It's okay if you don't raise your hand. Some things aren't for everybody. I'm not trying to force you here. How many of you received ministry tonight when Brother Hartley spoke? I did. See, they accepted personal responsibility in the word and in prayer in relationship to you and I. That's a microcosm of how it's meant to work as a whole. And how it's meant to be daily. And so when we understand that, we don't dismiss 
wrong choices as oh well. It's just, no, no, I understand. I have a responsibility to my brother. I have a responsibility. You know, I, I got up and went to work when I didn't want to get up to work, go to work lots of times. Personal responsibility. Had a wife and three kids. And we all like to eat. And we liked living in a house with lights and heat and water. We enjoyed those things. Personal responsibility. I think in 20 years working, my wife, can be, I don't know if she can tell you the count. I might have called in two or three times sick. I just, I had a responsibility. I'm not telling you not to, you don't read in between any lines. May the Lord give us a fresh understanding of our responsibility to him and to the body. Amen. Lord, thank you tonight for the people of God. Thank you for your word that never fails. Thank you for the privilege of being called by your name. I pray that you would lead us and guide us in relationship with you and with one another. That each and every part of your body would find our proper place and function and that it would be fully realized according to your placement, your will, and your purpose. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. I thank you and give you glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So good to have you tonight. We have a baptism this evening. I knew that. Amen. Aren't you excited? Norman's excited. You excited, Norman? He says he's a little nervous. But uh, amen. Why don't, why don't you greet somebody as Norman's? We're going to get ready here.